the story I'll tell. When I first heard that song, I was um, brought to tears, honestly, because everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Sometimes we don't know how to tell it, don't know to tell it, and some of us don't want to tell it, but it's our story nonetheless. Good morning, Cross Church. <laughs> um, thank you, uh, Pastor Blackburn and Sister Blackburn. I know is out with the children this morning for Sunday school, but thank you for allowing me the chance to grace the pulpit here this morning and to share a little bit of what the Lord gave to me with the church. I do have some scriptures and then I'm going to go into sharing some great information that the Lord led me to in preparation for this. And then we're going to talk. I'm going to start off with 1 Chronicles chapter 4 verse 23, and I'm going to go to the King James Version. These were the potters and those that dwelt among plants and hedges. There they dwelt with the king for his work. And I cross-referenced it with the message version, and it ends like this. Resident potters who worked for the king. And now we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5. And I'm going to stop at verse 5. I know I gave more verses than that, but that is the nature of how I do things. So I'm going to stop right now at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word those of you that were doing that. I, I shared this morning with Black Brother Pastor Blackburn um, some of the additional scriptures I had, and I'll probably cross-reference it, but most of you have probably never um, heard me in behind the pulpit. So I am known for giving tons of scripture, and then the Lord's like, this is what we're going to hit. And it typically depends on, I think it's always dependent on the need of those in the congregation. And so that's when I step aside and I let God be God. So I'm going to let God be God this morning. And I'm going to ask something of you. I'm going to ask that you let him be God this morning. That you hear what he's saying to you. Every time his word is read, it's for you. Every time you hear it, it's for you in that moment. And sometimes it makes sense in that moment, and sometimes it makes sense later. But nonetheless, it's a living word. So at some point, it's going to produce what he intended for it to do when he had it written all those many years ago. Because the scripture says, it will not return unto you void. And I'm going to add extra. It says also in the scripture that it will produce what he intended for it to produce. It's a living word. I, um, I'm not a green thumb type of person, but if you uh, saw our Facebook post this past April um, on my birthday weekend, I just turned a lovely 48, 
I decided, in addition to hanging out and being the foodie and seeing the town, that I had some plants that needed to be repotted. Again, I'm not a green thumb person. You know how they say succulents last forever and they'll, <laughs> no one can kill them. I did, all five of them. <laughs> all five of them just, they didn't make it. I, I, I literally had to repent. I felt really bad because the florist, when I went into the shop, I explained to her, hey, I'm not a green thumb person, but give me something that has a better chance of surviving to someone that's challenged like me. And she said, um, no problem, succulents. Easiest things to take care of, they'll last forever. You know, and I was like, okay, I was sold. In the back of my mind, I, I had a doubt, but I was like, but surely, you know, I've seen people that keep them. College students keep them in their dorms, and all kind of people can keep them alive. I've seen pictures on Facebook and Pinterest, and they do make it look easy. So I got five in a lovely bowl that had Kansas City stuff written all over it. And, um, yeah, they, they didn't make it. I invested in the rocks and make sure it drains the, when you put the water in. And I don't know if I overwatered it or if it got too cold because we keep our house a lovely 68 at night versus like desert temps where succulents normally grow. But that could have been it. I have no idea what did it, but they left quickly. And I do still have the lovely bowl they were in, though, and I put it to use. But the plants didn't make it. So I wasn't going to try again. I wasn't going to do anything with them again. And then one day, during COVID, I was like, okay, we are stuck indoors. I need to try something. I'm going to try growing some plants. I'm going to get no succulents this time because I know they're probably all running when I come down the aisle. Like, don't go to her house. You will make it. Um, so I got different plants. I went to Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. No plug intended, but that's where I went. I do love those stores, though. And I picked out different plants, and I read the little card that says what's needed to take care of them. And I Googled them, and I asked questions to other people there buying plants, and I was all ready. So I get them home, and I didn't bother them for a while. I just watered them. So when my birthday came, a couple of months after I had bought those initial plants that I was hoping would survive, they had survived except for one that was down to its last leaf, you guys. I, I didn't post a picture because it's just so sad. But it was like one leaf hanging on in this one pot. Because the rest of them, I don't know if I overwatered or what happened. They were not thriving. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. So we took those plants, and on my birthday, with my paper bags all over my dining room table and a bag of potting soil, and some little spikes you put in that add nutrients. I decided to repot those plants. They're still alive today, if anybody was want to know. They're thriving. I realized that some needed direct sunlight and some didn't. Some I was probably overwatering. I kind of started figuring out because I did some research. I did some digging. I wanted to find out the plant story. Because if I treated one plant like a different plant of a different species or genre of plant, whatever they call that, I could kill it, which is probably what I did to those succulents. Because see, I grew up in the South, and you wanted rain and you wanted water for your crops to grow. You needed a certain amount during a certain time of the year when you planted it. Those succulents, 
I literally remembered sitting at the table fixing the ones in the new pot that you probably overwatered those. I didn't do my research on those things. I didn't read about those plant story. But the new ones I plotted, I repotted with my husband's help. I didn't want those to die, so I wanted to know each of them's story. And I Googled and I YouTubed and I learned about what different people did. And I planted bulbs for the first time and they were hyacinth bulbs. And I realized if you overwater those, they'll rot. Don't want that to happen. So I was like, so how do you determine how the soil works? So I had to start researching and reading information about something that I knew nothing about. I grew up in the South. We didn't really grow indoor plants that much. We grew things in the garden so that we could eat. And most of it, we just let grow unintended. It just, it was there when we got the land and it'll grow for another hundred years after we're gone. That peach tree and that plum tree and they'll, they'll just keep doing what they do whether I attend to them or not. Now they may not produce the amount or the quality I want unattended, but they have a way of thriving. It's that they're used to that environment. Most of the plants we grow in our homes are not made to grow within homes. So you have to learn how to take care of them what they need, how much light they need. Do you want north facing or south facing and, and all these cold temps, hot temps. So I read because I didn't want to kill these things and they're still living. It's Mother's Day. And for some people, the story attached to Mother's Day is not always, I call it the cartoon version. For some of us, it is. Some of us, it's blue skies and rainbows and butterflies and pretty flowers. Others, it brings up memories that not necessarily bring an instant smile until after you think about where you're at. And so you put one on. Some of us this year, some of us watching even, might have had to bury someone, a child or their mother, so it's their first Mother's Day without either. Some of us or some of them watching or here, might have wanted to have a child and lost. I didn't always celebrate Mother's Day the way most people did because I had mixed emotions on it. I had the part of me that wanted to present as if everything was okay, and then I had the part of me that wanted to be truthful about it wasn't. I was perplexed. I was, I was battling emotions in my mind because for Mother's Day, it brings up a story for me. It brings up things in my life that I may not want to talk about, I may not want to share, and yet everybody else around me is, is celebrating and, and enjoying everything. That wasn't always my story. Some people avoid coming to church on Mother's Day just because. Just like some people avoid coming to church on Father's Day just because. Their story doesn't fit what they think the narrative is for a Christian that walks into the church doors. Because the, the assumption is, I can't partake of this because of my story. And I can't enjoy it the same way. <sighs> David said something. He said, when my mother and father forsook me, you didn't, God. You took me up. Now, I'm also, or I also have a chapter in my life where when I wanted to have children, 
I was told I couldn't. And that I would forever spend my mother's days not being a mother. The doctors wrote that into my story. I was 19 at the time and they thought I had cancer. Really young, not able to comprehend what all that meant. And I remember the doctor, interesting enough, a female doctor at that, was like, oh, it'll be okay. Don't worry, that's just, you know, it happens. You just won't be able to have kids. And I remember <laughs> sitting there with my mother, who had came in because um, they really did think I had cancer and it was not looking very good. And they were getting ready to do emergency surgery and they gave us a couple of days for my family to get in town and fly in. And my parents were overseas at the time and so they flew in. And they, and my mom was in the office with me at the doctor and she said, um, we'll be able to tell you how bad it is once we go in but we're pretty certain that you'll never have a child. And she was very matter-of-fact about it. But as those words were being etched into my life story, my heart shattered. Not that I was planning to have a child at that time, but someone had just written in my life story that I would never have the opportunity to be a mom. Some of our chapters are not easy. Some of the lines in our story are challenging and painful even. Oh, we have really good ones, and I'm gonna tell you about some good ones, but I wanna make sure you understand that everybody has a story. What you see when you walk into the store and talk to the person behind that counter or you're in your doctor's office, or you're at your job, or you're talking to your neighbor, or your aunt, or your uncle. Everybody has a story, and it's not always what they present, but they have one. And the really interesting thing about that fact is that they have one is that God created it so. Every situation that we go through in life has a purpose. Every tear we shed has value. Every ounce of pain we go through has a purpose. And it doesn't end in your book. It doesn't end in your vessel. It doesn't end with you. It wasn't intended. You know that living word I talked about in the beginning of when I started here? You are a living testament of who God is. If I can say this without offending any of my theological theologians, um, it's the gospel of you. Each of us are called to minister. Each of us are called to, to tell our testimony. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's your story. What are you doing with your story? Have you thought about sharing it? Have you thought about taking the 
the pieces that you're comfortable with even. Because I know some things we can't tell right away. Some things we can't share right away. Some things we're still going through. I personally feel like if you're going through something, that's the time to talk about it. Because when you sit and dwell on it and you isolate yourself with it, it doesn't get a chance to do what God's intending it to do. I think transparency is good, but you got to use some common sense with it. I will say that. Because just like uh, testimonies are good, so is gossiping. <laughs> you don't want to be the one that's gossiping about it. I see a smile back there. <laughs> you want to be sharing the situation so that God can produce out of it what he wants. There's an article I read called The Pottery of the Old Testament. It's um, an article written in the Expedition Magazine of Penn Museum. I love museums. It's the craziest thing. You go into these great, amazing buildings like the Atkins Museum here in Kansas City. If you haven't been to it, go to it. And you'll see beautiful things and paintings and they're in lovely gold frames and, and you'll see jewelry pieces and crowns and you'll, sometimes it's clothing and garments of great embroidery and, and jewels all over it and it's just, they're beautiful pieces. But if you walk through most of them, at some point you're going to come across some pieces that are broken, raggedy even, rough around the edges. I remember walking into one museum and there was a beautiful vase there that you could tell they had dug up and there was a big chunk of it missing. But that vase told a story. And there was a placard at the bottom of it that was attached and it was in this glass box and it said, you know, this is where it was made and this is who made it and this is the area it came from and this is what it was used for. And people are standing around admiring something broken. Something probably dug up out of a pit somewhere that someone painstakingly used a brush and some tools and maybe even a little water and carefully cleaned it up and found out what it was and where it was from and did some researching and looking up some information. And they probably collaborated with some other partners and said, okay, this looks like a piece from this era, and this looks like it would have been used for this. And they were trying to find its story, even though it had been buried. Maybe even possibly something thrown away because it was cracked. Or maybe because it was no longer in style. Or maybe it was because a new person came in and they didn't want those things and those memories from that time and they wanted new things to replace it because they don't want to be reminded of what that represented. See, here it says, and I love it because this was in reference to biblical items, and this is how come this article interests me. It said, even on rare occasions when documents of pre-classical period are forthcoming in the Holy Land, they are likely to be written on pottery, ostracons, shards with notes scratched or inked upon them. They were like the memo pads of ancient Israel. Most documents from pre-classical Palestine known to date are scratched, stamped, or inked upon pottery. These pieces of pottery are what they were discovering in Israel when they were looking and cross-referencing from 
who was in rain at that time and what correlated with scripture actually. And a lot of these items that they discovered correlated with scriptural times that we're reading about, including one that they said was found with um, a series of letters from Judean commanding officers to another during the seize of Nebuchadnezzar in 589 BC. It was actually found by a British excavation at Tel Adir, probably from one of the cities that no longer exists in that area. It was ancient. They found pieces that were stamped <laughs> that said something like royal property of. See, when I reference the scripture, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 23, I was telling you that it was the potters and those that worked among the hedges and the plants that were being taken care of in the king's palace. They were a part of the king's official staff. Who would have thunk? Gardener? Someone clipping the hedges? And someone that was making plates and bowls and vases would actually be notable. Considered almost like nobility at that time. They were actually taken care of. They were considered part of the governmental staff. See, I have to admit, I grew up reading beautiful Bible stories in the Bible, and back in, I call it my, my, my young age, and up to the third grade before I actually picked up my first actual Bible. It was called a book called Beautiful Bible Stories, and it had very uh, slightly age-appropriate depiction of some of the biblical stories, because some of them are a little rough if you go back and read some of them. I mean, earth opening up and swallowing people and all kind of things going on. But I remember reading about when the prophet told the lady, hey, go get your pots and fill them up with oil. I got a whole new understanding when I understood the background of the possibility of what those pots represented. what they were used for, what were the pots story? Did she take the flower pot and the grain pot? Did she take every pot? Because every pot would have had a purpose at that time. I didn't understand that until I studied a little more about it because I just assumed it's like my kitchen. You pull out something, <laughs> here's a pot. You plant, like I repotted those plants this for my birthday and I'm like, it's just a pot. In fact, I got one that we cracked in the process, and I thought about throwing it away, but it's still sitting on my counter for some reason, and then I reference back to doing the scripture, and I realize that's the reason. It still has value. It cost me something, so I'm not going to easily throw it away. Those of you that have had to work hard for some money in your life, you understand what I'm saying. I spent some change on that. I went through something at my job, and I, I put up with that boss, and I did without so I could get this item. So I'm not just going to throw it away like it's nothing because you don't know what I went through to get this pot. This pot has a story. When people come to our home, I, I share with them often, everything in our house has a story. That's actually how I want it. I want to be able to sit down with someone, explain to them the heart that led me to get the item that I have on my wall or on my couch, or how great of a deal I got when I bought it. <laughs> Either way, it's a story. Why is that important to me? Because I know what it took to acquire it. I know what I sacrificed or gave up. 
I know what it means to me. When, when I remember when I bought my first home, and I share this quite often, I know what it is to be homeless because that's part of my story. So I truly appreciate when I can walk into a house and say, this is mine. But you wouldn't understand that if you saw the house. You'd be like, well, what's the big deal? You, it's this basic house with, but no, 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 no. You don't know my story. See, you wasn't there when I was sleeping in a boarding house used in Crackville and sweeping up dead rats that had been there till they turned flat. You don't know what it's like not to know where your next meal is going to come from. My story brings appreciation for this item in my life. You also wasn't there when I was thrown out into the streets with a kid. And I made a promise to myself. I said, Lord, if you, if you take care of me, I'm not turning back. You're all I got. So I'm all in. I'm all in. My story prior to Jesus Christ was only going to lead me to destruction. Anyone's story without Jesus Christ, I'm just going to be very blunt, will lead to your destruction. Because see, even if you're cracked, even if you have missing pieces, he's still got a story to tell out of you. Why is that possible? Because he's the potter. See, at the very bottom of those vessels where it said royal property, when it was stamped of whose kingdom this was created for, that indicated ownership, but it also indicated value. Anything outside of the kingdom will never be as valuable as anything produced in the kingdom. We try. We try to write our own story. We try to rewrite. We try to erase the lines like we're in English class again. Edit it. Photoshop it. We can do some great things with pictures. I love being able to go back and rechange my Facebook post because I got a typo in it. Just horrible grammar. Don't hold it against me. I often type like I talk. So, <laughs> but see, I can do that. But my life, I can't erase those things. I can't go back and undo that time when someone devalued me. I can't go back and undo when I was abandoned. I can't go back and undo any of those things. Just like I really can't go back and undo the great accomplishments that happened too because we all have some good days, right? So our story is a combination of both the good and the bad, but it's our story. Oftentimes, and I don't have time to share everything today, people ask me, when are you going to write your book? In fact, I want to say it was a couple of Mother's Days ago, my son um, gifted me with a book that I'm supposed to answer all these questions in about my past so that when I do get ready to write my book out, 
I have references. I don't have to pull everything up from my memory. But I'm going to be a little transparent. I haven't used that book. It's sitting on my shelf in my office. And I made a lot of excuses why I hadn't used it yet. It's my story. It's my story. So yesterday at a wedding that I spent a lot of time crying at, because I got a chance sitting in a back pew of a beautiful wedding where there was a father that went up and sung this amazing song to his daughter. And tears flowed down my face because I said, God, is that how you love us? Because I didn't grow up with that earthly version. So is that what it feels like? Is that how you feel about me? Because in my humanity, I needed to see an example. Because see, he's our heavenly father. He's our potter. We are his clay. But the only version of a potter that I knew, a father, an earthly father, was one that was absent. And one that chose other things besides me one that chose not to show up, one that chose other lifestyle versus being a father to me. I loved him dearly, but, and we'd laugh about it. I said, you're, you know, we're more like friends because I had to put myself in a safe state of mind that I could accept the fact that he did not know how to be my father. So some of us, when we come to God, we struggle with that. Because we compare him to our earthly father or our earthly mother. And he's none of those. So as I sat there in the back listening to this father dote all over their daughter and say such amazing words, I could almost hear him say, but I love you greater than that. even the best example of what you think you had in a father. God loves you greater than that, and he's better than that. Even the best example you have of a mother, God is better than that. He's more caring than that. Because, see, humanity will fail because everybody has a story. See, my father couldn't be the father I needed him to be because he had his story, one that included drugs and alcohol and feeling unloved by his own family members, feeling as if he didn't measure up, as if he wasn't qualified, and he would never equal out to, him, to being able to get to a point where they would love him the way he wanted to be loved. So his own failures in his own story is what impacted my life. And I remember I used to tell him, Dad, now this was me as a kid, don't you know God loves you? Don't you know he'll forgive you? Don't you know he's not like them? 
And he would laugh at me, and he would say, baby girl, I know he loves me. I said, well, then why do you do what you do? Don't you know his hand's on you? My dad would become the best jailhouse preacher you ever met inside the jail. But when he got out of jail, he would fall back into his old habits because he would go back to feeling as if he was not enough. He was ashamed of his story. When what people needed to hear about was what made him him and then what God could do with it. When those archaeologists found those pieces of pottery that I referenced, they referred to it and they said, in fact, let me read it because I don't want to misquote it. At once a pot is broken, the shards of fragments are virtually indestructible since organic action does not affect them. Thousands of years later, that piece of pottery actually has more value in its broken state than it would have had when it was presently used. Because for those of us looking at it now, it tells a great story. And it lets us know how strong we are. And that even if it was a castaway piece, when someone else puts it in their hands, they go, oh no, you don't understand. We needed to know what happened during this time and this is evidence of that. We needed to know that this is what happened in 589 BC as proof that this is what went down during that time. So I made a commitment to myself yesterday talking to one of my friends. I said, I'm going to go ahead and write that book. Because there's a lot of people out there that think their story disqualifies them from the promises of God, that their story qualifies them from successes in life, that because they're a product of a divorced family or they were put up for adoption or they had been abused or abandoned or because they didn't have money or they did have a lot of money but their life was horrible because of the trauma inside the four walls that nobody ever knew about. That part of the story is the part that God wants to use not just so that you can have your own joy in life, but that so you can get to a point where you can talk to someone else and say, let me tell you what God did for me. You'd be surprised how many people that put on smiles every day and look a certain way will pick up a phone and call someone and say, this is what I'm going through right now. And I can go, but I understand. I've been there. Let me tell you my story. And let me tell you what God can do with even those broken pieces. Because those broken pieces are just as beautiful. The potter didn't make a mistake when he made you. He knew exactly what you'd go through. He knew exactly that you'd walk through these doors or you'd listen to this message. And he knew exactly when you would listen to it. And for some of you, He's wanting you to acknowledge the fact that even if you think your story isn't all that because of all of the bumps and bruises that make it what it is, I'm going to tell you you're ending the book wrong. 
the minute you realize that God's the author and the finisher of your faith is when new life begins for you. The pen in your hand, oh, dangerous. Dangerous. Because we only know in part. Because in the present state of the story, we think as the, the main character in our story that it can only go this way or that way because that's all we can see. And God's going, are you not? You're not. No. It's a lot bigger than that. You don't understand what's coming down the line that I have for you or where this chapter is going to turn and where this climax is going to take you. You don't see the other page. We haven't got there yet. But I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. But when the pen's in your hand, you're limited. Mostly because the things that make up your story are what's guiding you for the next sentence and the next chapter because you think that's all you'll ever be. That's not true. Without God, yeah, you're going to be pretty limited. And you're going to cycle and spiral down like you've seen a lot of people. But that doesn't have to be your story. I have a family background full of all kinds of things that I won't go into. And I love my family dearly. dearly. But I had to make a different choice. I had to choose for myself to walk with God. I had to choose for myself to live for God. I had to choose when I, had, when I looked at how my father walked his life out that I wasn't going to go down that path. I almost did. Because for a second, I thought that was the only way I could go. It was, it was this is it. This is, this is how it's just going to end. But then God stepped in, and I opened my life to him, and I said, Lord, that's not the way that I want to go. I know where that ends. I've seen it. I know where drugs end, I know where alcohol ends, I know where promiscuity ends, I know where anger ends, I know where violence ends, I know where stealing ends, I know, I know all those things. I've seen a whole lot of stuff, and, and it's written in parts and pieces in my story, but that's not how my story is going to end. And that's not where yours has to end. Choose ye this day who you're going to serve. Please stand. When Paul was talking to Timothy, he said um, in verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Yes, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. You'll almost miss the fact that his grandmother and mother had been converted. They were no longer practicing in that lineage the things that were not edifying of God, things that were not lined up with followers of Jesus Christ. So what Paul was saying to him is, take what they gave you, 
and carry it on to the next generation and the next generation. And that's what we're reading about today. If you go back and read the Gospels, you'll find out that as the time, or Old Testament in particular, but as times changed, they all had choices. And when Paul was going around preaching, there were a lot of people that said, oh, this living for Christ thing, ah, oh, it ain't worth it. It's, let's look and see what these do and the idol worshipers are doing and those in the temples are doing. And, and, or, or let's mix a little with the world and the church, as I would call it. Paul was saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Be reminded of the fact that absent of God, you know how that story's going to end. As a mother, and I know I shared with you that they said I couldn't have kids. I have two miracle children, and you've seen them in this church. My son, Kai, who's now 26, and my daughter, Ariel, who's 13. I can share with you the different things that make it what it was, and I, I won't do that today because we don't have time. We're wrapping up. But there are two miracles. And my daughter's going to be happy. I mentioned it because she's going to ask me after. Did you talk about me, Mommy? Because if I don't, it wasn't a good message to her. <laughs> but they're now a part of my story. But I instilled something in my son. I said, it doesn't matter if I live like I need to for God. You have to live like you're supposed to for God, for your outcome to be different. I am planning to live all my life serving this Jesus that we serve. But even if I don't, it's imperative that in my children I pass on, that there is no better way to live than for Christ Jesus. At ladies' conference this year, they listed a scripture that I didn't appreciate as much until now and it's a prayer because see I had forgot that even in my story someone else is going to read it and carry it on that's why we write it that's why we share it because my life had been filled with so much pain and sorrow I was conflicted and then this song came out and not the one my husband's getting ready to sing but the song was titled The Blessing and in one of the verses, it talks about for generation to generation of my, my children's children and my children's children's generation, that they shall be blessed. Sharing your story is not just so that you can be blessed and present by what God's going to do in your situation, but it also impacts your children and your children's children, even if you don't have any yet. Because once you get in the pathway of righteousness, once you get in the pathway of being Christ-like, there's more to Christianity than just saying we're a Christian. There's that part that the definition means Christ-like. When we start being Christ-like, that's when our story is rewritten. We all have a story in our past. But once you line yourself up with Jesus Christ, then you can look back on that story. And you can see where his hand was all on it. And you can see where he was in the worst of moments. The most painful of situations. In the divorce. In the family fight. In the abandonment. In the crisis. In the bullying. And in whatever the drama, trauma is in your life. He was right there. 
And now he's rewriting your future. Because now you're lined up with him. That scripture says, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. 25. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Without God, your book doesn't end with peace. Your nights don't end with peace. I don't like horror films. I don't like suspense and thrillers. Not too much. I like give me a heart attack. Because I want to know what's happening next and I can't wait. And then I don't want to know because it could be something bad. But we all like that feel good movie. The one that uplifts us. The story that has a happy ending. That's what your life becomes when you let God finish writing your story. That's where peace comes and prosperity and joy and healing and wholeness. So if you want God to start rewriting your story and you're willing to give him the pen, join up here in the front or make the altar where you're at. But lift up your hands and say, okay, God, I want to change my story today. I want things to be better. I want things to be different. I want things to have purpose where there was none. I want the pain to have a purpose that produces positivity in my life instead of sorrow and nights of frustration and anger. I want things to turn around. I want things to be better. Your story is valuable. 